Greetings from vacation. You are listening to episode 36. I'm talking to Dr. Bradley Block, and we talk about how to get patients into your clinic by turning your current patients into evangelists, and how treating your patients well will make sure they tell everyone else that they should come see you. Enjoy the show. Welcome surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. All right, welcome back. I have a really great guest today. I'm so excited to talk to Dr. Bradley Block. He is the founder of the Physician Guide to Doctoring. Uh, He has a successful podcast, three years in the making, and I love his mission, very similar to the boss of Lessons Not Taught in Residency, but his is, this podcast answers a question, what should we have been learning while we were memorizing the Krebs cycle? And so I'm really excited to hear all that you have to offer. So Dr. Block, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am in private practice in on Long Island in otolaryngology. Um, I'm in, if, if anyone's familiar with otolaryngology, I'm in the private practice because we're the biggest, I think we're five times bigger than the second biggest ENT practice in the country. We're, we're, we're a huge monster practice with lots of infrastructure and, uh, and I love it there. I'm an evangelist. I love my, I love my practice. I think everyone should be in a physician owned uh, practice like, like, like we are, and I love it. Um, but on the side, on top of having uh, you know three kids, two, four, and six-year-old boys, I also podcast. So I decided, you know what, I didn't have enough on my plate. As my wife said, what, being a successful physician wasn't enough for you, was it? So no, it wasn't. So I decided to start my podcast as well to scratch my own itch. I love it. So tell us um, a little bit about how you started your mission. So it sounds like you had this inkling that there's something that we did not learn in residency. So tell us some of the things that you learned over time that we were not taught in residency. First, I was I was listening. So the idea for the podcast came from listening to other podcasts. And because I started it almost four years ago now, there weren't that many podcasts at the time for physicians. And so what I found was there were lots of podcasts for other professionals specifically for what i was looking for and it was what i was looking for was was called social engineering so that is engineering the interaction between you know individuals and i was trying to figure out social engineering to optimize my interaction with my patients and so um, i would listen to podcasts about dating trying to find the tidbits about social interaction that would apply to patients or salespeople or other. So they were, so they, they were out there, but wasn't geared towards physicians. So I thought to myself, wait a second, if I had that platform, I would be able to invite those guests onto my show and specifically ask them about the physician patient interaction. And so there we are. Now I've got a podcast and I actually got people to come on my show. I couldn't believe it. A complete stranger would be like, yeah, I'd love to. That sounds great. That sounds exciting. And then I would be able to get them to answer all my questions about the physician-patient interaction. I love it. Now, we were talking before we started recording that 
you know, as residents, our focus as surgeons is to be in the OR and to get the cases and do the operating and become technically proficient. And as you and I both know, they send you out into the world and don't realize you have to get people into clinic and then you have to take them to clinic to the OR. And that is something that, you know, we're not consistently taught very well in residency. So take us through some of the things that you've learned in the clinic that have helped you be more successful in getting that patient from the door or getting them to the door, through the door and into the OR. So one thing is we, we call it office hours and not clinic. When you, when you call it clinic, it, I think it degrades it a little bit. So we have to elevate it, elevate it, call it, call it office hours. So when I first started, one of the senior physicians took me and introduced me to a bunch of his, uh, referring doctors. Um, and then they kept on referring to him. They did not refer to me. So I would bring lunches to other doctors to introduce myself and they would continue to refer to their specialists and not to me. So that whole idea of like hanging out in the hospital or bringing that's not going to, you're not going to convince them unless you've got something very niche that you do that nobody else does. That's really needed in the area. Maybe then they'll, they'll send you patients. But what I found the most effective way to get patients, was to find evangelists. Most of my, or a lot of my referrals come from physician Facebook, uh, comes from Facebook groups, come from the surrounding towns that surround my office. There's, you know, all these town groups that sometimes are referred to misogynistically as the mommy groups. In fact, they recently renamed my towns from Half Hollow Hills moms to Half Hollow Hills parents. Um, and someone will often write, uh, does anybody know an ENT? And unfortunately in my town, none of my friends ever jump on there and they're like, oh, send them to Brad Block. No, because I don't practice, you know, I'm like, you know, 20, 25 minutes away, which on Long Island is forever. Um, so, but, but in the surrounding towns, that's where I get my referrals from is, is these evangelists that are like, oh, you have to see him. And so what you have to do is during your office, instead of focusing your time on, on trying to convince doctors to send you patients, what you should be doing is trying to convince your patients to tell the doctors how awesome you are, but not by telling them that by being awesome. And so this is where my podcast came in because I would take something away from each guest that I could include into my practice to help me become better at that interaction, but not only better at it, because I think what we're all taught in residency is like, if you sit down, it makes it seem like the visits longer. Yeah fine. That's one thing that you can do, but there's so many other things that you can do. Um, one thing I, I had a, a guest whose expertise in, is in nonverbal communication. He actually trains people to play poker among other things. Um, <laughs> and so he said, uh, nonverbal cues for us in particular are broken down into two things. It's interest and authority. You have to seem like you're interested in the patient and you have to have authority, right? They're, they don't want you hemming and hawing about what you maybe should do, and I'm not sure, right? You need to be interested in them and who they are and helping them, and you need to be authoritative. And so the interest comes from your facial expressions. It's not from like mirroring. Some people talk about mirroring. You mirror their, um, their whole body. If they're crossing their arms, you cross your arms. If, no, 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 no. It's just about your facial expressions. And really, even with the mask on, the only thing that really matters is your eyes. What are your eyes doing? And 
it's like furrowing your brow and squinting a little bit and it seems forced right it seems unnatural and it is if you're not genuine about it and so some of us as we're documenting we might be stone-faced right but what we should be doing is we should be emoting with our faces and it might seem at least for me a little more like of a caricature of yourself like my podcast persona is not the same as my regular persona. I take my persona and I dial it up to 11. And I think we should do the same thing when we're in our offices with our patients. And so dialing up what my facial expressions would normally be to make it seem like I'm really engaged there with them, but not because I'm making it seem that way because I really am. So you can't, you can't feign interest. You can't fake it. They're going to pick up on it, but you might not be expressing what you're feeling as much as you could. And so by, you know, using your eye movements, I more your brow movements than anything else to really accentuate what you're thinking and feeling as the patient's telling you what they're going through is going to help them recognize that you're there with them. And then, like I said, with vocal tonality, that's how you express the authority. So the authority isn't with your facial express, isn't with your facial expressions or with your body movements. The authority is really with your vocal tonality. And so you want to be, you want to make sure you're being authoritative with the way you speak. That's a great point. It's so interesting because I, a lot of times we're, you know, have this idea that we should be stoic and that we should, you know, not necessarily be, uh, you know, as enthusiastic, but, you know, I find the same things too. For one thing, I, I think it's a little bit more in line with, with who I am, but it's just much more interesting which now I'm going to call them office hours. I'm totally buying that. <laughs> uh, but it's it just makes the day go by better too. So I think a lot of people are, are stuck in what they think a stereotypical surgeon should be. And so this is a little bit outside the box. And so it makes sense that you went through some of these other um, resources of, you know, it's just interesting that you went to like dating, you know, resources and things like that. Uh, you know, how clever. Yeah. I mean, it didn't matter for my dating life. Cause at that point I was already with my wife. I'm not, I can't, I think. So when I was listening to this stuff, I think we might've been engaged. So it's not like I was, you know, using the dating stuff for, for, for dating sake. Um, but it, it, yeah, it was, it was really enlightening to know that that stuff was out there and could be applied in our setting. And it does, it makes office hours a lot more fun. It really does. It makes it more enjoyable. And so it's not such a, such a slog, you know, for me as an otolaryngologist, when I was training, we did like four days a week of OR half a day of grand rounds and lectures, half a day of office hours, and that's it. Right. But right now I'm doing like four and a half days a week of office hours and like a half a day, maybe a full day in a week in the operating room. And so that's, a, that's a lot of office hours. It's a lot of patience and it can really be, it can really be a grind. And if you can't find a way to enjoy it, it's, you're going to burn out pretty quickly. And so, um, these, these lessons that I pull in, you know, it becomes an iterative process. Like after, you know, after, if I felt like a visit didn't go well, what could I have done differently? What could I have done better? If I had a, if I get a negative review, I think the same thing. Yes. Clearly that person doesn't know what they're talking about because everyone should love me. But if they did come away with a negative experience, what could I have done differently? Even for that person who's writing in stream of consciousness with no punctuation on Yelp or whatever. So 
Um, it's such a great point too, because so, so many times we don't, you know, I see people all the time, like, I don't want to read negative reviews. I don't want to look at it. And you, you can actually get a lot of valuable information if you like, First, stop thinking of the worry that you have about yourself, the shame that comes up when someone says, you know, basically, I, I don't like you. Um, but a lot of times these reviews can offer something useful. Yeah. Yeah. And some of it's like, you know, I didn't like the, I waited too long or the, you know, there's payment. So not all of them are really a dig at you. Um, but if there is, yeah, see if you can see if you can turn it into a, a learning experience once you, you know. Get over your sore, uh, lick your wounds. Right, exactly. I'm not saying we can't like take a minute and have a pity party because goodness knows yeah. I have. Um, oh, now, <laughs> I always get that pit in my stomach when I see it. I'm like, yes. oh, and then it does. It ruins the rest of my day. Now, I know that um, a lot of times if you're making eye contact, you may not be you know, documenting. Do you document in the room with you? And, and is there a way to both document and you know, have some of these interactions with patients that you've been successful in doing? So I think I've had like 11 episodes where people are like, you have to get a scribe. You have to get a scribe. You have to get a scribe. Um, I don't have a scribe. So I still don't have a scribe. And the way that I document is with Dragon. So I dictate, you know, the visit. So sometimes I'll, for the history, sometimes I'll type kind of as they're talking and, you know, I can, I don't have to necessarily look as I'm typing or sometimes I'll go up and I'll back and forth. Sometimes I'll I'll roll like I've got a rolly stool, right? So I'll roll away from my my laptop to get a little closer to them and then roll back to the station. But at the end of the visit, I almost always do it the same way, which is I just dictate a summary of the visit. So that goes into the chart that goes home with the patient um, and then they get to hear what's going in. So I'll just, you know, I'll kind of be like, okay, sorry, just give me a second. And then I will dictate the summary of the visit and then say, okay, you got all that. That's going to print out just in case you want to look at it. Do you have any more questions about the visit? And so that helps them to kind of like, that's also like, I feel like it's like serving coffee at the end of a party. It's like everybody's cue that it's time to get your stuff and go home. It's a cue to the patient that, you know, we've now wrapped things up. This is over. It's time to go. And so this serves so many purposes. You know. How helpful is that? Because you know, a lot of times, you know, initially I would not document in the room. Um, and so then everything would be at the end of the day. And so, you know, I, I really like that idea of, of like dictating with them. And so everyone knows exactly what's in the note and it's done, you know. Oh, I've had two different charting coaches on my show. And the big takeaway from both of them is finish the note at the end of the visit. You have to finish the note at the end of the visit because like it's notes are like are like a gas they will fill the space they're given and if you save them for the end of the day then you don't have that urgency to get it done and that it'll just like extend you know i'll end up like screwing around on my phone or something like that and then like do another chart and then check twitter and then do another chart rather than like oh i've got a patient waiting i need to finish this and close it out so it gives you that urgency to get it done even if the next couple of patients are going to have to wait a couple more minutes it's fine they can wait they'll be fine if they're not like septic or bleeding to death, right? So finish the note, stop making excuses, finish the note. The other thing that it does is it, it helps your attention. And so when you close at that note, it's like opening, it's like freeing up some RAM in your, in your laptop or on your phone, right? Where you can, you, you don't have to have it kind of in the back of your mind anymore. It's closed out, it's done, so you can be on to the next patient. 
Oh, it's so critical because all that extra time is unpaid time. And I've made huge strides and improvement. I mean, two years ago, I watched an entire, not episode, an entire season of Shit's Creek trying to catch up with my notes. So <laughs> see, right. And because it was taking up so much time, like you, this, it took up so much time and you gave it that time you, cause you were now like half paying attention as you were doing it. So it took even longer to do it and get and get through it. Yeah. And, and some of the patients, I used to sit down with each patient and be like, why are you here? But in ENT, some of the patients, and I would imagine some of them like I don't know, suture removals or something like that, or a wound check, something fast. You don't need to sit down with them and find out how their day was. No, just go in. Oh, it's your ears again. And then as I'm cleaning out their ears, I'm chatting them up. I'm finding how their day was. I'm finding what they're doing this summer, whatever it is to give them like you know, and it makes it more enjoyable for me because I'm connecting with them as a person. But at the same time, now I'm in the room for five minutes instead of 10 minutes because I'm not sitting there, you know, documenting, had earfulness for a three week, you know, whatever it was, you know, I'll clean out their ears, then I'll sit down and document whatever it was that they told me, you know, conclude the visit, take all my notes, ask them any more questions, and then we're done. So, you know, you can move things along. Not everybody needs a long visit. And the more you can move through, the less they are waiting out there in the waiting room. So then you don't feel guilty. Like, oh, this person waited an hour to see me and I'm just going to give them two minutes of my time. No, they weren't. Maybe they were meeting 15 minutes. And so two minutes of the time, they want to get the heck out of there. So just, you know, take care of it quickly. Not everyone needs, you know, an hour of your time. Yeah. And I think a lot of it probably has to do with, it sounds like you lead them as well, you know, with the cues of this is what we're going to do. And here, you know, now is the time to chat and now is the time for you to go. Yeah, it, it, it helps. It helps, you know, not everyone picks up on those social cues and that's kind of a different, uh, phenomenon. Um, and for them, like you, you have to be Frank, you have to be like, you know, and, and hopefully you can pick up on who those patients are that like, They'll just keep talking and rambling and asking questions and going on to other topics and maybe, you know, completely going off topic and asking about your family and asking about all these other things that are not necessarily related to their medical care. Um, and you can say, okay, you know, I've got a couple people waiting, but you know, if you want to talk about this some more, you can follow up with me and we can talk about that some more. You have to set boundaries and that's okay to do, especially with those patients because they don't necessarily understand those boundaries. So you be firm with them. And most of the time, if you read the room correctly, they're like, oh, okay, great. Yeah. Hey, great. It was nice seeing you. Um, you know, thank you for helping me with these few things. And yeah, if it keeps bothering me, then I'll come back. We'll talk about that too. Right. But they didn't necessarily pick up on the other cues. So you got to recognize what that happens and then, and then work with them on that. Oh yeah. So many of us avoid that too, because it's just that uncomfortableness of, of, you know, trying to cut somebody short and sometimes you just have to do it. And it's not nearly as bad in real life as it is in your mind before you do it. Um, and there's just really no other way around it. Cause otherwise you're, you're sacrificing your time and everybody else's time. Everybody as well. else's time. Yeah. So those people in the waiting room are waiting for this person to, you know, and they're going to keep coming up with our stuff. They could sit there all day. They could sit there all day, but boundaries, you have to, you have to be okay with setting boundaries. Now we just, I just had an episode on that uh, real short one, which is the, the four steps of a boundary. You got to know what it is. And that's our time. You got to tell, communicate with the other person. They need to know there's actually a boundary and you need to say what you're going to do. If you know, to, after this boundary is up, if they violate that, if you keep talking, I'm going to walk out. And then the fourth is you actually have to walk out. <laughs> yep. 
Yep. But again, at least my experience is those people that don't pick up on those social cues, they're not, they're not trying to take all your time. They just don't really understand boundaries. So when you set that boundary, they're usually like, okay, I didn't, I didn't realize our time was up. Our time was up. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some other tips for getting, you call them evangelists for you? Yeah. It, it, yeah. Um, and so, so a couple of things that I've learned from my show about, about getting evangelists is there's something that I call the question behind the question. And I actually, I found a guy who wrote the book, his name is John Miller called the question behind the question, but he's talking about something completely different. He's, he's talking about like personal responsibility and taking personal responsibility for your, for your actions. Um, but that's not what I meant by question behind the question. I mean, those that people that come in with a concern, but they don't verbalize their concern. And so a lot of times people come to us with a globus. So a lump in their throat, they feel like there's something stuck in their throat. And sometimes it's like reflux, or sometimes it's the way that they're using their voice or cricopharyngeal tension. Um, but all of them think, or almost all of them think the same thing. I have throat cancer. And so what you, you, you'll examine them and you'll determine that they don't have throat cancer, but unless you say you don't have throat cancer, they're going to leave the visit thinking that you didn't check for that, even though you did, if you didn't verbalize it. So you have to, you have to say it. And sometimes that's what people get hung up on when you're trying to move the visit along and it seems like it's not going anywhere. So it seems like you're on, a, you're on, you're spinning your wheels. The visit isn't there. They're, they're keep asking you the same questions over and over. And a lot of times in that situation, there's something that that's really bothering them that they're not verbalizing. And so it, it helps to just ask them that, right? Like, what is it that bothers you about these symptoms? You know, it sounds mild enough to me. Don't say that because then you're minimizing it, but that's what's in your head. It doesn't really sound like it's what they're complaining of is that bad. Something about it really bothers. So just ask them, what is it about this thing that bothers you? Oh, I think I might have throat cancer. Oh, great. Okay. So now I know. Okay. So when I'm looking down your throat, just so you know, most throat cancers are superficial. We can see them on the surface when I do this, you know, procedure where I put a camera in your nose. Great. Oh, thanks doc. Oh, that's a load of my mind. Yeah, no, the sensation doesn't really bother me. I just wanted to make sure I didn't have cancer. So a lot of times there's this question behind the question and they, they'll perseverate and they'll repeat themselves and you got to get them out of that loop by getting them to verbalize what it is that's, that's really bothering them. Oh, I think you did so many really clever things there too, is I love the question behind the question, because I think we all have that, that one symptom that people come to us that we've seen a million times that we don't think is a big deal, but you're absolutely right. Mine is, is breast pain. Almost everyone thinks they're coming in for breast cancer. They're worried about breast cancer. So, you know, one is, is knowing what that question is, but the second thing that you did there, which I thought was really, really clever is not dismissing that, you know, not just saying you don't have it. You actually gave them concrete reasons because if they're coming there, it's actually kind of ingrained in there that they may not even know that that's their question, but then even when you verbalize it, you know, taking that second step and saying, oh, but, and this is why I don't think that you have it because, you know, there's, there's still some mistrust of, of doctors and maybe that we don't understand it. and going that next step and explaining it to, I think is genius. I had a, a neurologist on the show who would, uh, whenever patients would come in with something, he would, that's kind of like my globus or your breast pain. He would say, you know, my aunt Fanny, had something like that and she went to the doctor and as it turns out her breast pain it wasn't because she was worried it was cancer but it wasn't cancer at all and she took some i don't know how do you treat 
breast pain, by the way, but I'm just going to say NSAIDs. So she took some Motrin and it went away and, and, and everything was fine. And you know what? I see that. That happened to my family, but I see that really commonly. Um, and so giving them an anecdote that humanizes their symptom, I, I think works, works well, especially if they're maybe not buying what you're selling when you first try to tell them that like, no, 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 everything's okay. Yeah. Oh, and I've definitely seen that where they're not buying what you're selling too, because, you know, I'll say that it's not really associated with cancer. Breast pain isn't, but they're like, but you know, I know someone who was, and so you do have to kind of go to that next step and saying, but this is why I don't think it's not just that it's because your imaging is fine. It's because your exam is fine. It's, you know, all those things. And then, but also giving some room for doubt too, saying that, but you know, try these, don't believe me, try these things first, and then we'll see how that goes. And I find that, uh, you know, really kind of giving them um, a little bit of power themselves to say, and you try this and see that that helps. Um, that helps my me convince them that that everything is okay. Yeah, yeah. And I think those patients also, you know, close follow up. And the way I what the way I sell it is, um, okay, so you're gonna make a follow up for two months from now. And but if you're not having symptoms, just feel free to cancel the appointment. And a lot of times they're either not following up because they thought I was a jerk and they didn't like me and I'm not turning them into evangelists or because whatever it was went away. And but some of them come in anyway, just because they, you know, they like that. They they like that reassurance. And, and I think follow up is something that is is underutilized in especially in surgical practices, because we're like, there's nothing that I am doing for you. I I'm not giving you any medicine. I'm not doing surgery on you. Like we're not following up on imaging. Well, I'm not doing something for you. Um, but I think in those patients, following having setting follow up also helps to set a boundary because it 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 relieves their anxiety so that they're not calling a week later, two weeks later, three weeks later. Like they know, okay, I've got this follow up appointment. So if there is something wrong, I'm going to be seeing the doctor again, and they can check me again. And I think those are, those can be really helpful. Well, I think that's a great example because I think, you know, as specialists, we know, okay, your problem is, is fine. You're okay. But, you know, really they're, most of their interactions are probably with primary care physicians who are already setting all these follow-up things. And so, you know, us not allowing a little bit of room for that, if they want that, they may not have that in their paradigm of what doctors should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that can help because it shows that you, you're concerned about them, you care about them, you share their worries, and you're not dismissing them. Yeah. You know, you're not just like, oh, no, you're fine. You're not. And, oh, and every doctor, they just dismiss me. They just tell me that it's all in my head. And then you're, you're, you know, you're validating them by giving them some more of your time. And it can provide a little reassurance for us too, because, you know, certainly sometimes breast pain can be, you know, related to cancer, you know, because of it's not, nothing is perfect. And I usually will, will tell people that too, is to say like, you know, give some room for validating their fears and, and having a room for following up too. It's like, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to do these things, but then I do want you to come back if, uh, you know, if anything seems that, you know, you're not happy with something or, or anything seems to be coming up. And you said validating their concerns. That's another way to get people to really, to really connect with them is, is the best example that I can think of is actually from a Saturday Night Live skit where they talk about Flaritin, which is Claritin for your fake allergies. <laughs> and, uh, and they mentioned someone with like, you know, a gluten intolerance, right? And so 
We're not talking about celiac. We're talking, right? So, and, and they're on a date and he, he reaches across and he touches her hand and he goes, that sounds so hard. And so, but, but we should really be, do that's, that's a parody, but that's something that we really should be doing in the office. So someone comes in and they're, they, they've got vertigo, right? And I say something like, oh, that sounds awful, which it is vertigo, you know, just for everyone. It's, a, it's not a diagnosis. It's the subjective sensation of room spinning. It's a sensation. Um, and it is awful. It is awful. So, you know, validating that like, oh, you know, I've been having all these sinus headaches. It sounds really uncomfortable. It sounds like it might be really disrupting your life. I mean, now when I'm saying it now, it sounds really forced, but you know, validating their symptoms and how uncomfortable they're making them can go a long way. And it takes you two seconds to say two seconds. And now they get that you get them. Right. And, you know, a lot of times the people do have some suspicion of physicians as authorities. And I find that, you know, Chris Boston never spilled the difference talks about the accusation audit is, you know, cause speaking their fears about us out loud too, can be helpful. It's like, you know, you probably think that I'm just, you know, this, like only think of this, you know, whatever diagnosis doctor, but you know, this is what I'm really, this is why I'm saying what I'm saying. And so sometimes speaking their fears about us out loud actually allows them to relax a little bit more too. Um, I say this a lot too, when, when they have a pain that, that I honestly think is musculoskeletal. And I was like, you probably are going to think that I'm really just dismissing your symptoms, but I'm really not. And this is why. Um, and that accusation audit is, is a way for them to kind of build trust as well. Um, so they, they can kind of say, oh, I, I, she kind of can read my mind. Um, that helps a little too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to borrow that myself. <laughs> Why not? We can thank Chris Voss. I took it from yeah. him. Uh, so no, how, how did you know that you were doing all of this? Like, what was the feedback that you were getting? Like what changed for you? Cause it sounded initially like you weren't getting a lot of patients in your clinic. You know, when did you start noticing a difference? It didn't really, I, that's an excellent question. And I don't know if there was a specific point where I really, I mean, at the beginning, it was just enjoying the podcast for podcasting sake. So mm -hmm. I was just enjoying getting all these interesting, exciting people to answer the questions that I had. So it wasn't actually about building my practice. It was just more about asking those questions. Um, but then, you know, just really in the last couple of years, it's been people come in and they're like, oh, I read your reviews and you are, wow, those are impressive reviews. And, and my wife, as my wife says, I don't know how to take a compliment. So I'll often say something like, oh no, my, uh, my mom wrote all of those reviews. That's, uh, <laughs> she's really good at Yelp or, uh, you know, something like that, that I don't know how to take. Well, I, I, I appreciate that, but sounds like your expectations a little high. I need, I need you to lower your expectations for me a little bit, or I'll like <laughs> pretend to look over my shoulder. Like they're not talking to me. There's somebody behind me that they're really talking to. So yes, I have a tough time taking a compliment, but, but I am, I'm, I, people say that, or people say, you know, I, you know, I found you from so-and-so and they love you, or I found you because, you know, I went on the Massapequa mom's Facebook group. And, you know, there are so many people that think you're such a good doctor there. So I had to come and see you. So in the last couple of years, that's really been happening a lot. And it really validates all the work that I've been putting into honing my craft in the office. Yeah. Those, 
you know, those, those office visits, each, each one where I try to do the best. Now I don't always have it in me. I'm not perfect. You know, last night was July 4th and I was up late with my six-year-old who wanted to watch the fireworks. And then it woke up the four and the two-year-old and the two-year-old, I was lying in bed with him trying to get him to go back to sleep. And he threw up on me because he was so scared. From... So like, I was not in tip top shape today for my office hours. And I didn't have all the patience that I normally do. But it, you know, you don't have to be a plus super polished all the time, you know, but you just do your best to do your best. Yes. And I think that, you know, people will pick up on this as well, too, but it's clear, you know, why you're successful, because you're constantly learning and not just learning from one source, learning from like multiple sources here, too. So it sounds, you know, the lesson here is that like it's lifelong learning and it's taking cues and it's, you know, getting information from your successes and learning from your failures and accepting that you're not going to be perfect. And then and your office hours are not always going to go perfectly. Uh, and I mean, I think that's huge lessons in itself. And then you go back the next day and do this and do the same thing over again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But when you're, but when it's, when it's, I mean, you talk about mastery, right? Like you talk about mastery. So there's mastery of your surgical skills, but there's mastery of, of office out. It's not just mastery of, um, of diagnosis. It's mastery of that relationship of mastery of the doctor patient relationship. And so question is, what are you doing? to gain mastery of that relationship. And if you try to lean a little more in that direction on try to make it an iterative process, it's another way to challenge yourself. It's another way to improve yourself and it's another way to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, the mastery and recognition are, you know, two keys. That was from the How Women Rise. Um, they cited someone else's work actually, but, you know, they were all seeking mastery and recognition and mastery we can control recognition comes from elsewhere. But, you know, the second component to that as well is that everyone we interact with is also seeking mastery and recognition. And I think once you realize that, you know, our our patients are seeking mastery and recognition as well, I mean, they're the masters of themselves. And recognizing that I think is, you know, how we kind of put two and two together is that they're actually looking for a lot of the same things that we're looking for too. Recognition. Again, yeah. Like, recognizing what they're going through, recognizing them for who they are and their struggles, not just for their medical condition, but their whole, you know, the the alternative medicine field has co-opted the term holistic. But I think it's important for us to be holistic physicians in terms of like, where does this person fit in, like recognizing for them for who they are and how they fit into their whole psychosocial dynamic. And, you know, not just for their tonsillitis. Yes. And, and I think when you, when you do that, when you include that in a visit, again, it makes it more enjoyable for you and for them. And, um, and right. on to the next one. Absolutely. And then recognizing they have something to teach us. And, you know, I think all your reviews um, had taught you something as well as the fact that you're doing everything right here. So well, Dr. Block, this has been really fantastic. So much pearls of wisdom. I think that everyone that's starting their, their new office hours career, you know, since there's more to life and surgery than just the operating room, uh, that this is going to be so valuable for everyone. Now, I know that they can find you at the physician physiciansguidetodoctoring.com, and I'll put the, that link in the show notes as well as the emails going out. But where else can they find you? Well, thank you for asking, and thank you so much for having me. 
Um, it's really been a great conversation. So I'm also at Physicians Guide on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, and then on LinkedIn, I'm just Bradley Block. I'm one of many Bradley Blocks. I guess I'm Bradley Block MD or maybe Bradley B Block. Um, but if you go to physiciansguidetodoctoring.com, that's a jumping off point for all of the different podcast platforms. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on all of them, or you can just look up Physicians Guide to Doctoring and, and you'll, you'll find me there. And with lots and lots of, of old episodes for you to enjoy. That's perfect. And again, I'll put that link on the, the show notes and we'll make sure that we can get some folks to yours because you clearly have so much to offer us. Thank you so much. For more information on the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.